today our series in the book of Romans. We're still in chapter 8. We'll be in chapter 8 a few more weeks, but uh, it's been glorious. And last week we began to see the five links of what is known as the golden chain of salvation found in Romans 8. Uh, chapters, uh, ch- chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. And it gives us this behind-the-scenes look at how God works in our salvation. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Our text today is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so glad to come into the house of the Lord We rejoice to be in your presence, to worship you and be refreshed by your words of truth and life. It is with eager anticipation that we long to hear our brother Greg mind the depths of these verses. Lord, please fill him with your spirit as he shares with us the magnitude of your great purpose for us laid out before the foundation of the world that we should be conformed to the image of your son. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts and minds so that we can comprehend the immeasurable greatness of our calling, that we are now justified before you, Father, and can be assured that we will ultimately be glorified and spend eternity in your holy presence. For that, Lord, we give thanks and praises and commit this service into your hands. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Show the love. We got some love going on. All right. Well, as we look at this, last week we began, as I mentioned, and it's this passage, these two verses reveal to us something called the golden chain of salvation. And this is the, the high ground, as I said last week. This takes us to the mountain top that gets us above this earth where we're kind of stuck down here looking around the mountains, looking around the trees, uh, looking at each other, trying to come up with answers about life. And yet these verses help us crest the top of the mountain where we can now look back in eternity past, look forward in eternity future, and we see God at work in all places. And we see how deep and how wide and how tall is the love of God for us. So these five chains, these links of of the golden chain are foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. And what we learn from these verses is that our salvation is wholly and solely and completely the work of God, not ours. And he gets all the glory for our salvation, therefore. So last week we covered the first two links, foreknowledge and predestination. And as we mentioned, those can sometimes cause a bit of, uh, you know, um, some angst with some people, a little anxiousness uh, trying to understand. And as I mentioned, we'll never understand the infinite God of the universe, why he does what he does, how he does what he does. And yet his word reveals to us who he is 
And that's the God that we need to look to, not a God that we try to construct for our own comfort or one that we can kind of understand. The truth is, folks, if we can fully understand God, he's not much of a God, right? And so this is what the Bible shows us, his, his just bigness. That's a good word. That's a theological word for you. You want a big theological word? The bigness of God. That's what we see throughout Scripture, folks. And we see the smallness of man. And again, there's the crux of the matter. Humans don't like it when we're small and God's big. But that's what the Bible reveals. And so as we look at this, last week I said we cover those first two. This week we're going to cover the last three, which are calling, justification, and glorification. Now you may be worried because last week you thought, well, we just had two, and that went kind of long. Now you got three to cover. But just trust me, we're going to spend most of our time on calling the first one and then not as much on the last two. And Lord willing, we'll be out of here today. So um, let's, just, let's just jump in to verse 28 because as we, as we look at this, the first verse in this whole passage, including Romans 8, 28, uh, where we see the called are in verse 28. So the first time we see the called of God is in Romans 8, 28. Look what it said. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So those who love God and those for whom all things work together for good, who are they? They are those who are called by God. That's who all things work together for good for, and that's who loves God. So I think it's interesting to look at this because what we learn from, from that is that our faith and our love for God and, and all of those things, that the, the affection that we show him and, and all of the love that we give to him, that's not the beginning of the, our relationship with God. Our faith in him and our love for him is not the beginning of our relationship with God him, but rather those are the results of God's salvation already at work within us. So it's important we kind of grasp this. I know, again, like I said last week, we like to, when we think of salvation, we always think of it that we initiated, that we got it started, that we're the ones who chose God. We found him. We're the ones who are the star of the show. He was just waiting around for somebody, do somebody, please, you know, I've done all I can do. Please do something here. And yet what we see is that God is the one that initiated the love for us. As we saw last week in John, 1 John tells us we love God because he first loved us. It's glorious. I liken it to this. Analogies never really work when you try to make an earthly human analogy to explain the infinite God of the universe. They always break down somewhere. So it's not a perfect analogy, but it's close. We think about babies and parents. I love babies and I love parents, and we've got a lot of them here, and, and, and we love that. Thank the Lord for that. But think about a baby and their parents. The love a child shows its parents is not the beginning of that relationship. That's not where the relationship started, when the baby said, I love you, and then the mom and dad said, oh, we love you too. <laughs> no, that relationship began nine months earlier, the moment those parents found out that they were expecting a child. That moment, nine months earlier, before that child was even born, could it even love them? They loved the child. The parents loved the child before the child was born. Not only did they love that child, they made plans and preparations for that child. Now, some parents went overboard here and already got them through certain colleges and their profession and who they're going to marry and just right on that line. 
But you see my point, that relationship, that, 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 that love relationship did not begin when the child loved their parents. No, the parents loved the child first and made plans first for that child. That's exactly what God, our Father, has done for us. He loved us. Let's notice verse 29. We saw it last week. This is where we have to go back a little bit to review to bring us into the, the subject of calling today. But verse 29, what's it say? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Beautiful truths. And we saw that that word foreknow is not just the idea that God knew all things that would ever happen and knew everybody because he's, he's God. No, that word know literally entails the idea of foreloving. God loved. It's a relationship word. He foreloved his people had a relationship with them before they even existed. And he predestined, he planned for them to be conformed to the image of his son. It's glorious. He loved us with an everlasting love before we could ever love him or do anything good or bad for him to approve of us by his good pleasure and by his will. And based on his love for us, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son blows our mind in order that Jesus, he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And that was always the plan of God. You see, when you think of it this way, it makes total sense. When Jesus died on the cross, he was redeeming his brothers and sisters. He knew who they were. He was purchasing them. He, wasn't, he didn't come in an attempt to hopefully save somebody. No, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. His people loved by God for, for nothing that we have done to earn that love simply on the basis of God's unmerited favor and love for us and grace. But look at the rest of this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Mm. Okay, this is good stuff because this is where we live this word here in the middle of this golden chain is the now. This is how we experience all of this powerful, sovereign stuff of God. All we know is that he called us. <laughs> we heard it as we responded. And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Now, it's important to look at the word called throughout Scripture and realize that there are two kinds of calls and callings that we see throughout the Bible. There's two kinds of calls. There's something known as the external general call. And then there's something known as the internal or effectual call. The external general call, obviously, is just what it means. It's a general call that goes out to all the world. But then there's an internal call. It's effectual, meaning that it happens. It, it's it's, it's going to do what it's do, what it set out to do. So notice the, the example of the general call in the Bible. Here's the general call. We've all heard this. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that is the call the church has been just pronouncing for the last 2,000 years. The whole world gets this call. Football players wear it on their eye, uh, you know, Tim Tebow, I. What's it called? Yeah, whatever that is. You got signs up in the stadiums, right? John 3, 16. 
That call has gone out to the multitudes. Whoever believes on Christ will have eternal life. That's the general call. Goes to everybody. And yes, it is a true call. Whoever in this whole world believes that God loved them through Christ on that cross and, if, and they will trust him and believe on him as their only hope of forgiveness and salvation, they will have everlasting eternal life. And this verse, so it not only reveals the depths of God's call, this general call, there is a call. Again, generally it's to everybody. And it shows this great love of God, but it also reveals... <laughs> Mankind's spiritual insanity. This verse reveals to us the depths of mankind's spiritual insanity. What do I mean? Think about this. This general call goes out from God to the whole world that if anybody believes on my son, I'll give you eternal life. You would think, therefore, that every church would be packed with people standing in line to come and hear this message and receive it by faith, right? Because this is a message giving you eternal life. And trust me, humans want this. You ever, there's movies out there about the immortals and other movies, the fountain of life, right? The, these, these people who somehow find a way to have eternal life. So people want this. And here it is offered to every human being that has ever lived. Anybody, everybody who believes on Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross will have everlasting life. You would think that we would have to beat people off in the mornings coming to church. And yet, millions would rather be atheists. M millions would rather worship nature and dance around trees in the forest. M millions would rather worship images that look like half man, half animals. Millions are so apathetic they just don't even care. And so what does that reveal to us? That reveals to us the insane fallenness, the complete depravity of human beings and their desires and their wills. They don't want to follow God's command to trust Christ. The reason is because in our natural state, folks, we are spiritually dead. That's what this shows us. We're spiritually dead to God, and we're unable to fully understand his call. Doesn't that make sense? The reason that people are not beating the doors down to give their life to Jesus Christ is because they don't fully understand what's at stake. They don't fully understand the glory that's available. They don't fully understand the new life offered in Christ. They don't understand. If they did, they'd be here, right? 1 Corinthians 2.14 makes this very clear. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. So plain. Why can't he understand them? Because they're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually understood. They're supernaturally understood. The natural person in their sinful, fallen state is simply not equipped 
to understand the call of the gospel. It sounds foolish to a person in their natural state, in their natural mind. We're dead to God, the Bible makes it clear. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, it, it, it affected us completely. Doesn't now, again, total depravity or this total fallenness does not mean that every human is, is as wicked and scoundrelish, I guess it's a word, scoundrelish, as they could be. It doesn't mean we do the worst, worst things that we can be just because we're totally depraved. It means that it's affected our will and our understanding of God from head to toe. We are totally unable to love God the way we should. With all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our minds, our wills do not want or desire to fully surrender themselves to the sovereign God of heaven and trust his son for, for, for forgiveness. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tell us. Here it is. Look at this. All right, here, here we go. And you, Paul's talking again. As he writes Ephesians and all of his epistles, he's writing to churches which are supposedly full of Christians, those who profess faith in Christ. So he's writing to believers like us here today, Lord willing. And look what he says. He reminds them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, look at this, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out, look at this word, the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And look what he says, like the rest of mankind. That is totally inclusive. All mankind. So I said, well, this describes some of those rotten sinners out there, but this doesn't describe me. No, this is all mankind. And it's not talking about some grotesque sin that you do that makes you look like the most immoral person in the world. It's talking about the fact that your passions are for yourself. It's talking about the fact that your desires, the desires deep in your heart and in your mind are not for God. They're for you. And that, my friends, is what brings the wrath of God upon us because we are not fully surrendered to him who is holy above all. We can't be. Why? Because when we're born as sinners, we are all about us. Our, our will, our, our nature, our desire, it's all about me. And I will always choose. You know what we do? We, somebody's talking about, let's just jump right in, talk about free will. People want to know, what about free will? What about free will? Well, yes, we have free will, if you will. Uh, but what do we choose then based on that free will? What we desire. Well, what does Paul say we desire naturally with that free will? We desire what makes us happy. We it's our passions that are driving us. It's our will and our will fallen as it is when we're born, does not want anything to do with the God of heaven. Now, we want to be moral and feel good about ourselves, so we'll do some moral therapeutic deism by going to church once in a while, and we may do a good moral deed every now and then, but, but our wills do not want to love him with all of our heart and surrender everything to him until we submit ourselves to his leadership in our lives every day. 
That's just not our wills, folks. It's just not how our hearts are. So the problem is this. Woo, hang with me, man. Here's the problem, therefore. If this is true, that sin has, has so corrupted us that we can't even think straight. This really is what it's meaning to say. I mentioned the word insanity earlier. What total depravity means is that all of us are born brain damaged. Our, our mind is not thinking clear. We're not in our right mind, so to speak, because of sin. We are, we are in this mind that will always choose for itself. The will is always going to be selfish. So, so, so we've got, like I mentioned earlier, all these wonderful children. You don't have to teach those kids. I know society says that, that the culture says that, that we become sinners because society trains us to be sinners and that society is, you know, that we're all messed up because society is messed up. Oh, contraire, my friend. Society is messed up because we're messed up. How do I know this? Because my one year, point eight month old granddaughters and the two year olds and on up, we don't have to ever teach them to have this attitude that says mine and grab somebody's toy and walk away with it like it's theirs. We don't teach them to be selfish, it's natural. We have to teach them to share. Painstakingly teach them to share. Why? It doesn't compute with them. Share? No, the world is mine and everything in it belongs to me. That's just the natural state of things. That's, do you not see that that is the idolatry that condemns all of us under the wrath of a holy God? The Bible says in Psalms that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. Everything is God's, rightfully so. He deserves all the praise and the admonition for that. But when we little humans are born because of the fall, we, we are already worshiping ourselves rather than God and everything is ours, we think. The world is mine, it's all about me. There's... Our problem and, and because of that folks we'll always choose for us selfishly we're not going to die to self and submit ourselves to God and be his slave and he be our master that's what the Bible calls us to do that's it die to yourself take up your cross daily and follow Christ he is now your Lord and master that's what it says but that's not our that's never gonna be our will so if the gospel call the true gospel call not not the happy uh, prosperity. Hey, trust Jesus and everything will be fine. You'll never be sick and every, people are going to hand you money left and right. You're going to be rich and wealthy and happy and prosperous. I'm not talking about that false gospel. I'm talking about the gospel call of the Bible where Jesus tells us he was hated, will be hated. He was persecuted, will be persecuted. He was killed, will be killed. Now follow me. That call is foolishness to a person who is dead in their sins. And nobody in their human mind would follow that. So now I hope we're understanding why there must be a, an effectual call, a different call, not just a general call, but a call that breaks into our hearts and woos us and draws us to God. And that's what we see, by the way. This is what Paul's getting at in Ephesians. Let's just finish this up. We can't stop. We, we left off there in verse three with a pretty bad situation that we're all children under the wrath of God, like all of mankind, he says. And then verse four comes along with my favorite word in the Bible, but, mm, but God, 
God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you see this? Not because we came to our senses and somehow said, okay, God, I love you. No. The relationship with God and a person always begins with God loving them. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love we're with, he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead and couldn't love him. A dead person can't love God. That's when he loved us. And he made us alive. (laughs) He made us alive. We didn't somehow scratch and claw our way back to life. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Wow. That is a picture of this effectual call. Romans 8.30. Look what it it says there. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Called there is the word kaleo. There's There's another word used. There's another verse you've probably heard that we could look at. I'll just quote it for it. It's so short. Many are called, but few are chosen now the word called in the greek there is translated invited and it means that it means to be invited there's that call where it's like hey guys come on over and have lunch with us that's a general kind of call could be received or or rejected right and yet this word call kaleo is a different word and it literally means to summon or command or to draw that's the call that, that he's talking about for his loved ones, the ones that he set his love upon before, the foreloved of God, the foreknown of God, who he has predestined to become conformed to the image of God. Those to those, as it says in Romans, he called. And this call is an effectual call. An effectual call is this. I've got an offer you can't refuse. Oh, I don't know. No, I mean, you can't refuse. (laughs) You will not refuse. You will come. That's the call. This is the command. This is like a general. It's like Patton telling telling Henry when he's on the, 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 there in in, in Normandy, do this. And Henry says, I don't know if I want to do that. No, never a thought, right? No, it's a command. You will do this. You will come here. That's the kind of call we see, this effectual call. When God calls this call, it's effectual, it's effective, it, it will work, it will, it will always work. John 6, this is what Jesus says. When he says, no one can come to me. Jesus said this. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's that same idea of effectual call. Unless the Father calls him, draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is our faith, folks. This is where we rest. My faith is in what Jesus said, not what I do. My faith is in what Jesus promised, not what I, not how much faith I can muster up. I'll fail every day if it's up to me. He won't. He can't. And this is glorious. He will raise those people up on the last day. What people will he raise up? That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's language for glorification. That means the day that we're standing in heaven, perfect, free from all sin, in a glorified body for eternity. 
I will raise them up on that last day. Who will he raise up? Those who the Father drew to himself or called to himself. That word draw there in verse 44 is the word alko, which literally means to drag or to pull. Now, Marty, now this is where we have a problem in our, in our human minds. That doesn't sound right. I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of God drawing me, kicking and screaming, you know, pulling me. I don't want to go. You're coming. Right? Like many of you growing up, your parents, that's how you came to church every day. You're coming to church. I don't want to go to church. Does it mean that? Yes and no. Here's, here's, here's the point. We are not, this is not a picture, therefore, of us, that everybody that comes into the kingdom of God is coming kicking and screaming against their will. Because here's what happens. You say, just wait a minute, Greg, it makes sense, though. If our wills are dead and our wills hate God and we're always going to choose ourselves, we're always going to be selfish, then he better break in and change us or we're doomed. There's truth to that. But here's the glorious thing. We are wooed. This call of God is a wooing of his grace. We are wooed by love. And we are so transformed by that love. Our will is so changed by the will and the love of God that we are now running toward God as fast as he is drawing us toward himself. We are willingly, at this point, after his effectual call works in our heart, we are now so transformed by his love for us that we are now lovingly and willingly running into his arms. That's the picture of God's grace working in us through this call, this effectual call of preaching the gospel. And that's how he does it, by the way. That's how that call goes. It's the foolishness of preaching the gospel. This has always been. Man, folks, I gotta hurry here. This is the point. We try to improve on God so much because we, we leave his means of bringing people to himself. The means has always been through the foolishness of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, that old message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Will you repent of your sins and follow him and give him your life? That call, that gospel, that's it. It pleased God, Corinthians tells us, through the foolishness of preaching to save those who would be saved. Not through intense life coaching or some psychological understanding or reasoning. No, it's just the preaching of the gospel. Why is that? It's because you know what people realize? That doesn't seem to work. You know, people, churches, the, the modern church is attested to the truth of what I'm preaching today by saying, you know what? It doesn't seem to work because people don't want that. You think? People don't want to repent of their sins and give their life to Christ and submit to him as Lord of their life. You, you think? Yeah, they seem to want stuff for themselves. Really? And what they do, instead of saying, we're just going to preach the gospel anyway because it's only he who can save them through that gospel, they say, well, we're going to give them what they want. So we're going to preach messages that meet those little self-needs that they need and, and think they want. And we're going to make them happy and feel good on that level. And as the Bible says, and therefore, folks, make them twofold children of hell with a false idea, false hope, because they failed to preach the gospel, which is the only way God saves sinners. 
Because when we preach that, when we send this message out and we preach, the Holy Spirit is really applying the message to the hearts. He's the one breaking in, opening eyes, giving the grace for that heart to hear and receive the water, the living water of God's word. He's the one that gives life and regeneration. And therefore, God gets all that glory for our salvation. Philippians 2.13 says it like this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, it's God working in us to change our wills, to make us willing, and to then work for him and his good pleasure. First Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5 says this. Look at this. Paul's explaining this whole chain, basically, in these verses. For we know, brothers, loved by God. So he says, you are loved by God. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Well, Paul, how do you know that? How do you know that God has chosen these folks that you're writing to? Here's how. Because our gospel came to you not only in word. You see, this is what happens to a person who is not a believer or who is not uh, one who has been chosen. These are words you think, oh, this doesn't feel right. This is the high stuff I mentioned that we're never going to understand, but we got to read the Bible and say, what does the Bible reveal here about how God saves people? And so what Paul is saying is the difference is when a person hasn't been wakened in their heart by the grace of God, the gospel is just words. Okay, do you understand that? It's just words bouncing off. And Paul said, here's how I know that you're loved by God and chosen by God. Because our gospel that we preach didn't just come in words. It wasn't just words for you guys. <laughs> Look what he says. But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. Paul's point is you all didn't just receive this as just words, but there was a power of the Spirit evident in you. You were convicted by this preaching. It came with conviction. It came with power. And therefore, it evidenced itself by change. You were no longer the same. You responded to the gospel with a great love for God. And the only way you will love God is if he first loved you. Do you see the cycle here? This is what what we see. This is why it's so important for us to be faithful to preach the gospel. But as we're preaching it, to understand it's not our responsibility to make people believe. Folks, this is why we pray for people to be saved. This is why we pray for, you ever wonder about that? If, because there's some people who act like that somebody getting saved is all up to them. It's all about how they talk. It's all about what they do. It's all about the psychological arguments they use to try to talk this person into making a decision for Christ. And so if really, if it's all about that person making a choice, and it's, it's up to us, then let's just sit around and argue all day long and force them, right, to, to do this. But it's not. That's why we pray for the salvation of people, because we know that it's only God who can break their heart open and give them eyes to see and give them a will to follow him. That doesn't negate, folks, us preaching the gospel. As a matter of fact, this doctrine makes it of immense importance that we preach the gospel. It's like Paul said, I preach the gospel because I know that God has many people. That's what he said before he went into a city to preach the gospel. Paul said, I know that God has many people in this city ready to receive this message. That's how God does it. But we trust God. We preach the word, but we trust God for the results. 
That's why we pray for, for salvation for people. So here's what we've learned so far. We're almost finished. Trust me, I know you don't believe me. <laughs> so what we've learned in these verses, in this, that, that God, how God saves us through this golden chain is that it all began when he foreloved us in eternity past before we were ever alive. He foreloved us, set his affection on us, and then he predestined us to holiness in Christ through the message of the gospel he calls us and we respond to that irresistible call that's the that's the kind of the picture we're seeing John 10 26 27 here's the here's the example of that Jesus is talking about the sheep he talks about that all through his 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 ministry folks sheep and goats two kinds of people in the world sheep and goats and he says this in verse in verse 26 but Look at this. He's talking to these Pharisees. They don't believe him. They don't believe his message that he's the bread of life. That's what he's talking about right before that. I'm the bread of life. It's only me. Trust in me. But then he says in verse 26, but you do not believe. Oh, you don't believe because I haven't been convincing enough. Ah, oh, if I had just used another illustration, maybe you would have believed. That's not what he said. He said, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Wait a minute, Jesus, you're, you're already labeling, labeling, you're already labeling them sheep before they've even had this, this belief? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm telling you that unless they're already a sheep, they won't believe. That's what he said. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And then he goes on to clarify by saying this, my sheep hear my voice. Woo! I have already detached, detached from you all, and I'm going to enjoy this message from here on out. I'm excited whether you do or not. This is wonderful. This is what I'm saying. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Who follows him? His sheep. When? When he calls them. But you see, they were already his sheep when he called them. That's the, that's, the, that's the eternal stuff we don't understand, folks, but that's what the Bible's revealing here. And what happens? I give unto them eternal life. So, so I guess the picture, and I'm going to hurry up here. <laughs> I'm going to stop saying that. What are we worried about, right? So in the Middle East, there are shepherds all over the place, right? In their towns, especially during this culture, there were, there were sheepfolds in every town big sheep folds because there were so many shepherds, right? And they would be traveling the countryside to feed their sheep and they had to stop at a town, right? And, and kind of clean up, go check in the inn. You know, the shepherds would go into the inn and get some food and check, you know, sleep and take it easy. And they would all check their sheep into the big sheep fold where it would have hundreds of sheep. I mean, each one guy may have 50 sheep. Another guy may have 50, uh, 60 sheep. Another guy may have 10 sheep, but they all stick them in this big sheep fold and they're not divided. I mean, they don't put name tags on them. They just, they, just, they just open the door and all the sheep are in there. And so for those days, those hundreds of sheep are all mixed and mingled and getting to know each other, talking. Hey, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. And so then what happens is each shepherd, because how are you going to separate? The shepherd that's checking out that day says, okay, I want my, my sheep. How many you got? 40. Okay, there's 300 in here. Let's see. Uh, do you recognize any of them? <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> no, that's not what they do. Every shepherd has a distinct call that his sheep know. They know that call. 
and they will not answer to any other call. So that shepherd shows up, bright and early, ready to go, wants his 50 sheep. He just says, hoo-hoo! <laughs> and you know what happens? Out of that 300 sheep, only 50 of them, their ears go whoosh, And they turn, and they walk out that gate with that shepherd. That's exactly what this is talking about. That's why Jesus used that analogy. My sheep hear my voice. Obviously, they know their call, and they follow. So that's why we preach the gospel. We preach it to everybody we know. Don't get discouraged, folks. Our job is to sow the seed. Our job is to, is to call, make the call, holler it out. God is the one who will take care of his sheep hearing and obeying and following. And he gives the eternal life. Okay, we're going to hurry. Very quick. Those he called, he justified. Uh, Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. Justification. We've already covered this a lot, so we don't have to do it. This is why I say these two are going to be short. Justification is this. Justification is not forgiveness. Justification is being legally declared right by God. It's a legal pronouncement that you are just. John Stott puts it like this. Listen to this. Justification is more than forgiveness or acquittal or even acceptance. It is a declaration that we sinners are now righteous in God's sight because of his conferment upon us of a righteous status, which is indeed the righteousness of Christ himself. It is in Christ by virtue of our union with him that we have been justified. And that is all by faith. We believe by faith that it's Christ's righteousness that forgives us. It's Christ's righteousness that covers me. And that's why I'm no longer under the wrath of God. I believe that by faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's how that works. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Great exchange. Jesus took our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Glorious. That's what our faith is in. John Stott goes on to say, he became sin with our sin, so that we might become righteous with his righteousness. So that's what justification is. We are declared just and right because of what Christ did for us. And in those whom he justified, look at the rest of that verse, Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so the final stage of our salvation is glorification. That's the final stage of our salvation, right? Look at verse 37 of John 6. This is, this is back to the big stuff that Jesus said. He said, all, look at this. Look at this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. You ever heard that? Ever thought about it? what he's saying there? The Father has given Christ some already. Jesus came to die for them. And all that he died for will come to him. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That verse right there is all the Christian needs to rest their faith in. Uh, do you understand this? I have been given to Christ by the Father. Christ died for me. And when I come to him by faith, he will never cast me out. It's sealed. It's done. It was begun by him and ended by him. But look at the rest. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of he who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. There's that language again about Jesus raising up a people on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's all there. Any, so we kind of go back to this general call there, right? Anybody who believes, and 
That's the call. Anybody who believes on Christ will be raised up on the last day. But who will believe on Christ? Those who the Father has given him. They will come to him. Summary. Here we are. We're done. How does this golden chain look from our vantage point here on earth in the now and now, in our lives right now? How, does, how do we, you know, understand this thing? Well, we who have been saved in this room have experienced being called as we heard the gospel. Everybody in this room that's a believer today, you experienced that call. One day in your heart, you just couldn't resist. You heard the gospel, you knew it, you understood it, you saw your sin, and you saw your need for Jesus. You, you experienced that call. So that's how we experience it right now. That's it. In this life, we experience this call to follow him, and we follow. And now we also rejoice in being justified. We rejoice that Christ has justified us by his perfection and his work for us. And then we can now look back, now that we're, you know, we've, 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 we've responded to the call and we've been justified by faith. Now, as we grow as a Christian, we look back down the chain and we realize that before creation, God foreloved me and predestined to justify me. Praise be to God, right? Then I, I honor God. And now we can also look forward up the chain into eternity and see that we will be glorified perfectly standing before God for all eternity. No more sin. That's, that's the glorious truth of this. So we close with Philippians 1.6, which is a summary of everything. And here it is. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's all Romans 8, 28 through 29 does. It fills in the holes between the beginning of Philippians 1.6 and the end. God began the work. He will finish the work. That's where our faith is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of who you are. Give us grace to not worry so much about figuring everything out and understanding it, but give us faith to trust you and to rest in the promises that you've made, that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Let us rest in him and let us proclaim him to others. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.